wouldn't mind turning in your Bibles to John 19, verse 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine, it's tough, like a kind of vinegar, stood there. So they put a, a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is not a moment of defeat. Even though with our human eyes, we see a man on a cross who has undergone the most horrific ordeal. Six hours he has been hung on this cross. We talked about the other week about how severely drained his body was. How his, when he says, I'm thirsty, as it's, it's, well as a spiritual thing, it's actually a physical thing as well, that he was completely drained of, 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 of all his um, bodily fluids, that he desperately wanted a drink of water. And so it's easy to look at this Jesus on the cross for our human eyes and to interpret this scene as a moment of defeat, eh? because it doesn't fit into the pictures that we have of heroes. This is not Hercules. This is not He-Man. This is not the Avengers or something. This is a man dying on a cross, if we look through those lenses. And it looks like in this very moment when he says it is finished, that it is a defeat. But the good news is that this is not a defeat. This is a triumph. This is an accomplishment. In the other Gospels, Matthew, uh, Matthew and Mark, it records that Jesus cried out in a loud voice before he gave up his spirit. I don't know if many of you remember the, the movie Braveheart. And at the very end of that movie, William Wallace, who had led the Scottish Rebellion, had been captured by the English. They were torturing him to death. And in his final moment, with everything within him, he cried out one word. And that word was... And then, of course, for the next 10 years, at every Pentecostal or charismatic prayer meeting, there would always be someone who would get up and cry out, freedom! And everyone's, you know, because we're, I guess we're kind of English as well, everyone would sit there kind of like, oh, this is awkward. <laughs> this is a little bit out there. <laughs> but it was, this is, this is what Jesus is doing in this moment. It is not a whimper. It's not a, a just a, oh, I'm giving out. I'm just giving up my body. I've, I've just had too much, even though physically, in a sense, he had that. He actually summons everything within him, and he cries out these words, these final words from the cross. It is finished. He, he cries. He shouts that out. It's a shout of, of accomplishment, of triumph. And I think the English words that we read there, it is finished, don't help us. They're not clear. They're a bit ambivalent. Because you could read the words, it is finished, and think, it is the end it's over. Like, what does it mean? It, it, it's not clear what, he's, what Jesus is saying there when he says it is finished. And we have to look at the Greek word which helps us here. And that is the word, uh, 
I probably won't pronounce it right, but Tetelestai. Now, Tetelestai was a, a word of triumph and accomplishment. So, in that one word, it was it meant triumph or accomplishment that Jesus was crying out from the cross. One author has says it could be rendered or, or put in this way: it has been and remains forever accomplished. That's basically what Jesus is saying. I'll say that again. It has been and remains forever accomplished. It's in the, in the, in the tense of the word. It's like a, um, I think it's called a perfect participle or something like that. But basically it means that it's a continuous thing. It has been done and it is continuous. It's not a one-off. It's, it's, it's forever. Jesus has accomplished everything forever in that moment. And in the ancient word, uh, world, this word was used in many contexts. Um, they often talked about servants, that they, when they um, were sent on a mission or a task, had to go, sent by their master to go do something, that when they had finished that task, they had finished that mission, when they had returned to their master, they would say, Tlestai, like, completed, I've done what you asked me to do, I have accomplished the mission. The other instance where it was used was by priests when they were preparing sacrifices and when every, you know, everything had to be perfect, it had to be holy and, and done properly. And when they had prepared everything and set it all up, and they would sit back and they go, to the last time, like, it is accomplished, I have done this perfectly. The other context was artists when they'd done a sculpture or a painting. And this is for all those perfectionists out there. <laughs> When that that artist had been like, that's it, not one more little chisel, not one more little paintbrush stroke, they would step back and say that word, it is finished, it is accomplished, I'm not going to add anything else to this now, I'm just going to leave it, it is done, it is done, this is beautiful, it's perfect in this moment. The other category was merchants um, and sort of their version of banks back then, so if, if you were given money um, to to run your business or to some sort of thing that you needed, um, when you had paid back your debt, your loan, you would say this as well, it is finished, my debt has been settled. And I used to get this a lot when I worked as a lawyer, um, people would always say, I've paid off my mortgage. And what they mean is I've paid off the loan that the bank has, has um, given to me. The mortgage is actually a charge a security that goes on your land and the mortgage its sole um, purpose is it sits there on your land as a, as a charge if you don't pay the loan the bank will activate the security the charge and and, and as we know in sort of recessions mortgagee sale they'll, they'll have the power then to if you default on your loan to um, to to use that power of the mortgage to exercise it over your property to sell your property, to recover the debt that you owe in your loan. And so in order for people to be free of this mortgage or thing, we had to, as a lawyer, I had to request a discharge of the mortgage from the bank, and usually because they'd paid off the loan, and they would set, the bank would send an authority to us that would say, you can do this on behalf of the clients and on behalf of us. And so when you did that, that charge, that security that was against the land would be discharged and the person would get this beautiful... Um, clean title, which would have no mortgage on it. It always looks very nice. And 
I, I just think that that's what it means here. Like it's like the charge, the security, the debt, the thing that was against you has been completed, has been accomplished, is gone. You've got that nice clean slate. And the last area was around prisoners. If someone in the ancient world was sentenced to uh, a term of imprisonment, when they had completed that term of imprisonment, they would be able to say this word to say, I have completed, I've paid my debt to society, I've completed my sentence, I am free. It is, it is done, it is done. In this moment, Jesus is completing the mission for which God the Father had sent him. In Luke 19, um, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came, but Jesus came for a reason. He had a mission. He didn't just come just to hang out with us, even though that was awesome. He actually came with a, a specific purpose, a mission from the Father's heart to save humanity. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says this, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and very humble Paulers, of whom I am the foremost. That Jesus' mission and purpose was fulfilled and completed on the cross and through the resurrection. And that mission was that the power of sin and death would ever be broken over our lives. That we would be able to have access and relationship with God the Father. And thirdly, that we would be part of God's adopted into his family and that we would do life with him as his children. As humans, I think we struggle with the cross and what this means for us because it's so counterintuitive to us. I think we, we want to earn things in life. You know, um, from school through to jobs, through family, we have goals, we have um, plans, we have habits, we have practices, we have things that we want to achieve, and we, and we have a sense that we, we're trying to earn something in life, we're trying to become better people, and so when we see the cross and we see Jesus saying, it is finished, that it is accomplished, that it is dealt with, we don't know what to do with that. It, it messes with our human mind and our spirit the, that wants to achieve, that wants to earn God's grace. Jesus has completed everything on the cross. There is nothing that we can do that can add to Jesus' work on the cross. Nothing we can subtract from it either. It's, it's, it's done. It is done by Jesus there on the cross. I think this, this need for approval was so clearly um, illustrated in the movie Saving Private Ryan. It, in the movie, if you're not familiar with it, I think it's loosely based on a true story. There was a, a guy called James Ryan, and he had lost all of his brothers in the Second World War. Had, I think he had about four or five brothers. And so the American government, um, you know, thought this is, this is an absolute tragedy. We don't want this poor, his poor mother to lose her own last son. So they, so they arranged for this group of soldiers to go and find this remaining son who was in in Normandy somewhere after D-Day, 
and to rescue him and bring him back to his mum so that the mother would have a child left over from this war. When the movie, the, the main captain of this little group of soldiers is played by Tom Hanks. And of course, um, now spoiling the whole movie if you've never seen it, um, these guys pretty much bar a couple of people sacrifice their lives to save this, this guy, including Tom Hanks's character. And at the very end of the movie, as you see in this picture here, Tom Hanks is propped up against like a, like a motorcycle or something, and he's, he's dying. He's bleeding to death. He's only got a few, few moments left, and he's speaking to this guy, James Ryan, whom they had saved. And his dying words to this guy, to this character, is this, earn this. Earn this. And then the movie go fast forwards to, to the scene in the future where you have the elderly James Ryan. He's at a cemetery in Normandy with his family, with his wife and his children and grandchildren. And he's talking to the grave of that man, of that Tom Hanks' character. And he says these words to that character. He says, tell me I have lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. And I, I, I feel like, and, he, and then he breaks down and he, you know, he's just sort of um, inconsolable as his wife tries to comfort him. And he even says the same sort of things to her about, like, have I lived a good life? Am I a good man? That this man, all his life, had been living under the weight of those words, earn this, earn this. And so he had spent his whole life trying to be a good man, trying to live a good life because of the sacrifice of those men in that moment. And even though this is a movie and we can sort of go, oh, well, it's just a movie and, you know, da-da-da sort of thing, I think it's so true of us. We can be Christians, eh? We can know some of these truths in our head but not have them in our heart. We can give our hearts to the Lord, invite Him into our life, but then we can continue to carry on trying to earn His love, trying to earn His grace, trying to earn His mercy. And when we fail, which we do because we're humans, when we sin, when we fail, we feel worse. We think, oh man, I just feel like rubbish. I just feel, why would God want to have anything to do with me, with all my brokenness and all my sin? He must just want to run away from me. But the opposite is true. We don't have to earn anything. Jesus has provided the perfect sacrifice for us all on the cross. Jesus has, it says in Hebrews, once and for all provided that perfect sacrifice for us on the cross. And I think, I think the, the problem is, is that we often see the cross in kind of a transactional sort of way. And I know there's been a lot of those analogies that people have heard, like, oh, you're in a courtroom and then you're in the, the defendant and then, you know, Jesus hops into the dock or something and takes the punishment that you should have deserved. 
And, and, and yeah, there's a truth in that too. I'm not sort of rubbishing that, but I think sometimes we kind of get into this almost like accounting terms, like oh, I've got all these sins and I've done all these things, but Jesus is the accountant who comes and fixes up the books or something. And we, we totally lose the relational aspect of what God is doing on the cross, what Jesus is doing for us. Um, I debated whether to share this because I, I found it quite moving during the week when I was uh, watching it. Um, but I'm actually going to share an illustration from a horror movie. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to finish with this. In this movie, The Quiet Place, it's not really a horror movie, it's more of a thriller. So, you know, if, if you watch it and you get upset, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not going to show the clip, um, it's a bit freaky. But in this movie, The Quiet Place, these aliens have come into the world who um, hunt down humans because of sound. And so whenever you make a noise, these aliens come and kill you sort of thing very, very fast. It's quite a frightening movie. And so there's this family that the movie focuses on that um, are, are surviving, and they're surviving by being quiet. They're not, you know, they, they learn sign language, and uh, they sort of mutter really quietly sort of under the blankets kind of thing. And they're surviving. And there's a daughter in the, in the movie who is deaf. And this daughter... She, she, um, she, she thinks that her father um, blames her. She thinks that her father doesn't love her um, because of an incident that happened with one of her siblings who died because of these aliens. And at the pivotal moment of the film, at the end, the, the, this daughter who's deaf and her brother are, are trapped in a car. And this, one of these aliens is sort of on top of the car and it's, it's going to kill them. And it's a frightening sort of scene. And the father knows this. He's tried to fight off this alien. And he's lying in the field just away from where the kids are in the car. And in this pivotal moment, this father steps up. And he drops uh, like an axe or something to the ground. And grabs the attention of the alien that's on top of this car. So this alien's like, there's something over there. And then, in the most beautiful way, he, he, he signs, sign languages, talks to his daughter, who's in the car with sign language, and he says, I love you. I've always loved you. And then he gives out the most guttural cry, like a, ah! And in a, in a split second, that alien just races over and kills him. I, 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 it's one of the most beautiful examples I think I've ever seen in a movie of what Jesus is doing on the cross. It's not a, a transactional accounting exercise going on here. You know, that alien represents the power of sin and death in our life. And, and, and Jesus' heart for us on the cross is that that, that that sin and that death won't kill his children. That he, he, he longs for his children. He longs that we would not be under the power of that, of, the, of that sin and death. And so he, he willfully sacrifices his life. He willfully lays down his life for us, his children. It says, I'm going to finish on this, and I'll just ask Meg and uh, Sarah to come up. It says in, in one of the other Gospels that when Jesus made that cry, that cry of triumph, that the curtain in the temple tore 
from top to bottom. This was a curtain that was like, I think, more than a hand's width thick, and it was very tall. And what the, the purpose of this curtain was in the, in the temple was to separate the inner and outer courts of the sanctuary. And in the inner sanctuary was where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's presence was. It was the Holy of Holies. And no one was allowed to go in there except for one day a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The, great, the high priest would go in there, would venture in there freaking out, to go into that place, and after Jesus cries out with this cry of triumph, it is finished, that curtain tore from top to bottom, and what that symbolizes, and and what it, it shows that Jesus achieved in his mission, what he accomplished for us, is that that relationship with God the Father is open to us, just like that, that the power of sin and death have been broken, and he, and, he, and, he, and he shows that example in, in three days when he rises from the dead in resurrection power. This is the God we serve. This is the Jesus that we love, eh? Isn't he beautiful? Like, isn't the cross, it is the most horrific thing, but it is the most beautiful thing. It just, I, 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 I could spend a thousand years reading and seeing this stuff, it still be completely touched and moved by what Jesus has done for us, his heart for us, how much he longs for us. And the thing that blows me away, even after being a Christian so many years, is that no matter how far I might have strayed from him, no how apathetic I might be, or even cynical, even the doubts I might have, that he's there. He's just there, extending grace, extending mercy, extending love. He died for us. He died so that we would be in relationship with Father, that we would have the power of sin, of addictions, of brokenness, of everything that is holding us back from truly being the humans that He created us to be. He's a good God. He's a wonderful God. Why don't we just celebrate this wonderful and good God? Would you stand?